0: When the moon hits your eye Like a big pizza pie That's amore When the world seems to shine Like you've had too much wine That's amore Dale Big Smith Australia stand up out of your chairs Dale Big Smith waits for the judges And this multi-millionaire
1: Another recovery from the youngster, oh! She's taken gold, she has taken gold! The world champion in parallel giant slalom snowboarding is in gold medal position here, can you believe it?
0: it is off the podium an olympics podcast coming to you today for another athlete interview episode maddie himbury pyeongchang olympian in the sport of freestyle skiing moguls to be precise an australian skier and a fantastic chat we have got for you today. You know we love talking to people from the sport of moguls. It is one of our favorite sports on this show. And you'll hear me in just a moment say to Maddie, how many moguls athletes we've had on the show? Quite a high number, as you can imagine. Sad Colin's not here for this one, but uh, I'm sure Colin is listening right now to learn a lot about Maddie. And it's a fantastic story through her journey to get into the sport from where she started to lining up at the top of the hill in Pyeongchang. An effort just to get there through a lot of trials and tribulations and the fact that she went on to make the final in Pyeongchang adds an even more inspirational element to this and from her appearance at the Olympics in 2018 just everything that happened after that in the lead up to Beijing how close she was to making that team and I guess a lot of the things that really happened around that made he's very honest and open with everything that happened in that four year cycle that ultimately would lead her to being first alternate for the Beijing Olympics but so much in this interview that you're going to get out of in a, in a very open chat with Maddie about her career you're going to get a lot out of this as I just said and you're going to enjoy every single second of it so sit back relax and listen to our chat with 2018 Olympian Maddie himbri. Mogul skiing is always one of the favourite sports we have here and off the podium. I actually did the math in the lead up to this interview and today's guest is our ninth Mogul skier which I think basically makes up for more than half of the freestyle skiers we've had here on Off the Podium. And I'm sad that Colin's not here today to really fluff his love up for the sports. But I will carry the torch of him today because I'm so excited to speak to today's guest. Competed at the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, a finalist in the Women's Mogul. She finished in 20th place and had an esteemed career across the sport. And I'm so pleased to learn a little bit more about that career today to speak with the one the only Maddie Himbury. Maddie, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. As we said, it's been a long time coming. We're (laughs) excited to finally make it here.
0: I like to make it a sport sometimes, Maddie, of just to see how long that we can take to get somebody on the show. So uh, you did well. You passed with flying colours. So... Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you for the, uh, the the opportunity to kind of do that. But it's it's always exciting to speak to anybody from any Olympic sport. But obviously, moguls, as I said, we've got a bit of a history with that. But I love reading about your background and learning about how you got into the sport because you come from a gymnastics background, but also enjoyed skiing. And essentially, it came down to you pressuring your mum one day to say, oh, I want to join a club. And then your mum basically said, well, if you do one thing, you can join the club. So I'd love to hear that story to to our listeners so they can learn how that came about.
1: Yeah. So you're, you spot on there. I, uh, I wanted to join the parish winter sports club team, um, back in 2007, I want to say, and I couldn't do this 360 all winter. I was lucky enough to go down to the snow and that's how I found moguls. So we have an interschool ski comp here in Australia, where you get to compete across a range of the different events. I had been doing gymnastics since I was three years old and always thought that was going to be my goal. Summer Olympics. Let's go. Um, But then I kind of fell out of love for that and I fell in love with skin. I actually met Matt Graham, which I don't think you've had on the show, but we should make it number 10.
0: He, I'll say he's another one I've sort of been back and forthing with over Mm -hmm. the years. So if you can, you can nudge me Mm -hmm. over the line there with uh, Matt, I wouldn't say no.
1: Yeah, so he could be your number 10, but I met him in the ski tube terminal and they were doing tricks on the trampoline. And I was like, oh, how do I get to be like them? All these kids hanging out frothing about whatever they were doing, flipping, skiing, whatever, all day long. And I was like, I want to join that. And so mom said, you've got to do this 360. Um, today, otherwise you're not going next year. Cause as our last day on snow, we're going back to Sydney the next day. So I convinced my brother go out there, help me. We built this jump and I just kept hiking it until I made it all the way around. Cause the biggest thing with 360, it's like the fear factor, right? You've got to just commit to it. It's not actually like, it's, it's actually kind of one of the harder tricks cause you've got to spin and stay upright. But at the end of the day, if you just yank it, you'll get around. But I was just going, Oh no, I can't do it. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So mom's like, you're not going to make it in this sport with that kind of attitude, I think is what she was getting at. So I had to go out there, get some, get some balls, get some confidence and go for it. So I got it, screamed at mom, made her come out, come to watch me do this trick. And then the next year, unfortunately for her, she drove me back down and forth every weekend after school to go ski at Perisher. So <laughs> God bless mum and dad. <laughs> I was going to
0: say I probably might regret that decision all of a sudden to, to do that. But I find it fascinating that as a gymnast going into moguls, because generally the path we often find in Australia with gymnastics is aerial skiing. That's kind of the one that we constantly say, stop stealing our gymnast's aerial skiing like leave some of them in the sport but is there much transition that we don't necessarily hear about that gymnasts actually go into mogul skiing as well
1: you see a few kind of crossover but in terms of australian mogul skiing i was kind of one of the late bloomers in in coming across it 14 I was considered very far behind but I did catch up really quickly so I think they realized that they didn't need to start poaching athletes at like eight years old and they can see the transfer across but we don't go poach like aerials does but that's mainly I think because of funding Mm. so aerials is like the winner sports baby because we had all those gold medals and um who runs the program in Australia loves aerial skiing. So that's his prized possession. So I get it. That's where a lot of the funding all of the time goes into it rather than for moguls. We're like, we go to interschools schools and we're like, Hey, you want to, you want to do a harder course, come check out our harder course. And then they get petrified because it's terrifying. Um, so that's unfortunate, but aerials did try and steal me as well when I started moguls because I wasn't that high level gymnast for them to come poach me at like national champs but they did uh, when I was skiing at down training down in Melbourne, where a lot of the aerials were, we have a bungee cord where you practice flipping and whatnot. And so if you are in it and you don't bounce, somebody has to pull you down. Otherwise you're just hanging, like, like a hanging fruit off the tree there. And so the coach at the time, he was the aerial coach was helping out the mobile team. Cause we have a lot of crisscross and he said to me, I'm not going to let you pull you down there until you say you're coming across to aerials. Uh, but I stood my ground up there and said, no, wow. not for me. <laughs> They're very
0: aggressive, those aerial poachers, aren't they? What's going on? I, I, I keep saying that we need to get our own back to for the great sport of gymnastics. I, I want these gymnasts to start going up to, you know, the Jeff Henke Centre and watching these aerial skiers and go, no, come to gymnastics because for far too long we've lost so many gymnasts to aerials. Come on, let's get some of our own back and the other way around.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're poor gymnasts. They, they need a lot more feeling through the back end, that's for sure. But aerials, yeah, it's, it's a good program. So they, they seem to snatch them up.
0: I just want to backtrack just a little bit just on that. You mentioned about initially you thought your path would be Summer Olympics. Obviously, your age, you were, what, about six when Sydney 2000 was on, living in Sydney. Did you kind of get involved in that sort of period of just that passion of the city? Do you remember sort of the Olympics at that age?
1: Yeah, I do remember going to a few events. I definitely went to the gymnastics and loved it. My parents were lucky enough to get some tickets here there. So we got to go, I think I saw the basketball and the netball as well. Um, But yeah, that whole like, you know, Sydney was just alive and people worshipped these athletes and you could see how amazing they were as like people, but just to be like, kind of like a shining stage was everything that I saw when they were performing so yeah that definitely drove home you know I want to be there too just what sport let's just pick one anyone
0: (laughs) (laughs) I did actually see on your Instagram uh, you you did a a dress up I feel recently of the Sydney Olympics Uh, so you sort of uh, retain that passion and just one thing actually on, on the note just sort of talking about that sort of aerial skiing and that's sort of the baby of Australian winter sports. Can we just point out that in moguls now we've only won one medal less in the Olympics than we have in aerials. So same amount of gold medals. So, you know, just pointing it out there. Um, just, just, we're coming for them. That's we we, we are coming, which actually leads <laughs> me on that because I would I'm doing this actually very early in an interview, Maddie. I feel like this should come later on, but we're talking moguls. We, we've got to mention the the goat Dale Beg Smith. Did you have any interaction with him in those early days or at all in your career?
1: No, so we pretty much crossed paths opposite time because I came into the sport too late. So he wasn't even really training when I came into the sport. Um, It's more the people that went to uh, Russia. We would have a lot of interactions with him, but even at Russia, he wasn't really an athlete. He was there for a good time. But I heard he was a great time in Russia. So because he didn't really care so much. Oh, but what rather have you than heard,
0: Maddie? He Can in... you share with us anything that you've heard?
1: <laughs> I know he was buying everyone shots, but he did water shots. So sneaky. Oh, he just, yeah, he was just there to have make sure everyone else has a good time. No, no,
0: I'm hoping this is like with all his fellow competitors, and not just the Aussies. So I hope he was going of like, "Hey, everyone, shots on me. Get everyone pissed before the event." Wow, that, that's we clever
1: drink before the event we're locked in a little (laughs) bubble (laughs) we don't get to see the outside world
0: until you make it to the bottom yeah yeah we 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 love anything related to to dale he's uh just an icon and an enigma all all mixed in one but i love the story of the fact that when you eventually got to world cup level your world cup debut was on your 21st birthday I mean, yeah. that talks about a, a pretty good, I guess, birthday present for you to kind of get to that level of line. What's that experience to spend your 21st birthday competing at a Moguls World Cup?
1: Yeah, it was pretty surreal, to be honest. It was on the training day and I was telling everyone because I hate when people don't know it's your birthday. And you've already had that interaction. They have to come back to you and say, oh, I'm so sorry. So I told everyone on her, like, come on, let me know. So then everyone was ignoring me because they're like, everyone knows how much Maddie wants everyone to say hi birthday <laughs> to her. So nobody said it to me. Um, but one of the boys got me a balloon because that was one of my requests. I wanted a balloon to go around, tie around to my backpack. Um, but yeah, pretty much we went through competition days, a bit surreal. Some of the girls from the other team dropped off a cake, came over, I just hung out for a little bit, played some cards, but then we we're in the headspace for competition. But I did compete really well. So it was like an exciting kind of like, you know, cherry on the cake. Who cares about the birthday? But I made it down the com the course and was really quite happy with my first World Cup. So all in all, great 21st birthday. Great kind 21st like,
0: birthday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's fascinating when you said that coming into the sport quite late at sort of that 14-year age, and that's considered that way. I think it wasn't Brit 15 when she made her debut in, in Vancouver, so it's kind of interesting how that plays about. But do you find that sort of through your background of what you had been doing in gymnastics, and you had already been involved in competitive sport for quite some time, that it doesn't really matter about the age. You can sort of just kind of mentally switch into that athlete mode that even though you haven't been doing it for as long as some of the other people, you're still able to kind of use that to your advantage.
1: Yeah, for sure. I definitely caught up pretty quickly and was like kind of fast tracked through the program. So I was on like a development team within that two year period. So that's Pretty, you know, um substantial. But unfortunately, I had a lot of injuries, so that pulls me off the program again. Um, but with mobile skiing, it's a funny one because we're a judge sport. And what I do find is the longer that you're on World Cup, the more well known you're you, you know, it's still personal branding, right? We're branding ourselves to the judges. And the longer you're there, even though you might not actually get that much better, your results will start to increase because they've known you, they've seen you, they've got that name, they've got the bib number and obviously it is a judge sport. So there is bias, but we wear bib numbers on us. So the judges are sitting there and if you've got bib number 60, they're already thinking, okay, well, you don't deserve to be in finals. It's so hard to change that mindset. And so the more they've heard your name, Oh, they deserve to be here. They've been a world cup for years. And then suddenly you're in the top 10 bib numbers. And, And so that's something that definitely works in your favor is the more experience you have. Obviously, the experience comes with you know you you know how to compete on that world stage you know how to deal with that pressure you know what all the different courses are like um so it's it's you know not just about your name being known but it's that experience on world cup is something i definitely didn't get till a later stage in my life in um my athletic career which would have been definitely been beneficial earlier um like you know the perennes of the world she won an olympic gold medal at what 19 Mm. it's like i don't i hardly skied a whole run (laughs) so it's just that you know that experience obviously in that field is very beneficial um but yeah i was set up well where my family we did a lot of sport we did a lot of activity and my mum was a hard ass you know you had to you had to deserve an opportunity and so that was kind of the mindset and the drive that i was instilled in from a young age that made me be able to achieve when I was given those opportunities.
0: On the flip side with that judging aspect of it though, I guess you also get to know the judges. So I can imagine are there certain events where you go, ah, shit, Trevor's judging today. This isn't going to be a good run for me.
1: I mean I try to not read too much into it I know lots of friends knew like judge one blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> but that's something that's out of our control right I can't change what the judge is going to or put on that paper at the end of the day all I can focus is on is how I'm going to prepare for this competition and give myself the best opportunity for them to give me points yeah <laughs> like give them to me as many as I can but I can't control that so there's no point fixating on that because then you end up being in that blame game kind of thing or well, I didn't and get finals because they didn't give me the point to it's like well maybe if you didn't put a leg split in there they wouldn't have taken it off what can you do
0: i actually remember back in vancouver channel nine had the olympics so it kind of stood out a little bit but when dale didn't win the gold and you know a lot of people were angry oh he deserved it he was better uh, the canadian and all that kind of stuff and i remember the interview that eddie mcguire's got dale begsmith and dale and just classic dale you know just completely monotone doesn't want to be there he wants to be going like counting his millions on his cayman island somewhere but like just the way he was able to defend it and just be like like this is a judge sport yes this is what we deal with um you know at the end of the day i didn't get the number it was just it was just such a fascinating way of doing that when you've got such an outrage from the media and then that which i'm sure as an athlete again in a sport like this You've got your opinions. You, you want to be able to express it. But at the same time, too, you, I guess, get used to that, right? Because that's just the nature of the sport. It's so technical and complicated. And there's things that us in the media or other people are never going to understand because we're not there living it like you are.
1: So, on, yeah, on the flip side, it can work in your favor. They can give you points. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, I made a big mistake and they somehow forgot to see it. So that's the perks of Judge Sports. Like sometimes it works in your favor, sometimes it doesn't. You just hope it's not all the negative side because then you can get down in the dumps, you can get upset. But, you know, at the end of the day, all you can do is put your run down and hope for the best. That's what
0: I absolutely love though about moguls, because it is I'm more than ashamed that Colin, he's our Canadian co-host who is mad into moguls. That's his sport. Like if that's you know, he can he literally follows everything moguls related. But, you know, it is a sport that I guess if you watched it and didn't know anything about it, you would assume like, oh, okay, you're getting from the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill in the fastest time. Like that's all it's about. But obviously it's not, there's judging aspects. There's all that kind of levels. It reminds me kind of in a weird way of like a ski jumping where you think that ski jumping is just literally who can jump the furthest, but it's not. There's a technical element involved that contributes to your score. And I I heard on one of the interviews that I listened to in the lead up that you mentioned that that's what you loved about it, that it's not something that you sort of go into it knowing every day I need to set the fastest time that you have to worry about time, but you also have to worry about technique and all that sort of stuff that makes an element to it, which I guess for you makes it very challenging but rewarding at the same time.
1: Yeah, particularly in a training space because there is so many aspects to our run and to the performance is in a training day, if one jump is not going well and you can just get the shits, um, but you can always focus in on something else and so that's what I like about the sport is there's so many different areas you can focus in on and maybe that will make turn your day around or make you feel better about the sport again. But yeah, it is, it is an exhilarating sport where you want to be the fastest but the neatest and doing the biggest tricks um, and then with the most difficulty. So it's pretty like mad complex so you need to like find out what what is the best happy medium and you see the boys do it a lot because they have a whole bag of tricks the girls less so much um but in qualification particularly when you're up that high end when you're like the Matt Grahams of the world where you're more than likely going to qualify for finals so there's no point busting your ass in that first run with your hardest tricks putting down fastest runs like you put down the run that gets you into finals in a good position and then you slowly build up in the day I didn't really get to that point where I was like slowly building up in the day I was kind of like coming in hammer for Maddie uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that would have be been nice too but in a training concept we obviously build up you hold back some harder tricks as you go, but you don't want to, you know, be blowing your load in that first run where you get overexcited. You see that with younger competitors where they get really excited, particularly when you make your first finals, cause you're all jacked up, you're there. Um, and so, and the course is really nice for finals. That's the other thing. So you just feel like you're you're like, you know, floating on clouds. I don't know what a good expression is, so that's <laughs> obviously not one, but you know, you feel like a legend walking on water. I don't know. So you just like want to push yourself show the world, like, I deserve to be here in finals. And so you'll see a lot of those first-timers, you know, crash or go too big and land back seat. But that's, you know, that's kind of the fun of the sport. Which I
0: can imagine, too, is it a sport you find that momentum plays a key part when you're just on it, you're just on. I mean, obviously, in, in a big competition, you're doing what, like five, six runs until you even sort of get to like the big final, right? So, like, I guess it's riding. I like the cloud analogy, like riding the clouds. Uh, you know, feeling that, and then on the flip side too, you could just be having a shit time, like, ah, oh, just it's. I've got the yips today. Nothing is working
1: yeah i mean i think that's what makes a really good athlete is to be able to turn that day around when you're having that horrible day and you're not feeling it um but yeah it is it's it's building into that day but it's pretty much what run seven probably is where you'd be looking at that metal run so you need to be peak performing but you also need to be above everyone else till you get to that point um and like i said for us it's you know the boys are done in 22 seconds. The girls are done in 26 seconds. If you make a mistake in that first second, you need to let it go and move on. You, you know, if you hold on to that and you keep doing leg splits, you stuff up your top jump. You're going to ruin your chances. So I say perfection's not attainable. It's about recovering from these mistakes as quickly as you can and moving forward. Because at the end of the day, 26 seconds, it's done. You don't want to have be regretting that you're worried about that one little leg split. Um, you know, a third of the
0: way down which actually one of the other things you said in the interview which it fascinated me I never heard it quite described before but a way for you to slow yourself down on the course is to deliberately ram into a mogul essentially <laughs> which is fascinating to to hear that uh, like uh, to me uh, you, you know somebody is not good at science or anything like that I think like well the harder you hit it you, the more you're going to like fall over or kind of damage it but I mean that sounds like a very interesting way of kind of doing it. I need to watch out for that for now and when I'm watching moguls.
1: Yeah. So there's a few different ways you can slow down, but yeah, we can use the tip of our ski to go into it pretty hard. And that contact will push against you to slow you back down. You can also put your skis more across the hill. The most common one, you'll see people kind of look like they're zamboning the uh, course for us. We used to joke some athletes were just, they're just clearing it out. They're making nice and <laughs> smooth for you. Um, they get that real pivot across it. Or you can go really wide turn style. So you'll see a lot of the Japanese ski that turn style, which is like the purest turn. It's beautiful skiing, but it's not very efficient. Um, and you can make a lot of mistakes doing that technique. So, in a competition perspective, you wouldn't really choose to do that style, you'd use the, you know, the Zamboni, the ugly, more ugly skiing, because it's actually uh, better in terms of not making mistakes. And the judges aren't there. Well, they are technically there to judge you on how well you ski. But at the end of the day, they're judging you from what mistakes you're making in front of them so it's best to go with that technique. but I remember one time I had made I had made a big um, slow down move and they said that my ski technique changed too much in the run so it looked like two different skis I said what do you mean? it was like this of course we're gonna slow down so apparently I was too good at the skiing part because I slowed <laughs> down too much and I was like I've never had anyone tell me that <laughs> but sure so wow I mean that's just what the judge's feedback was I was confused they gave me the feedback All you can do is take it on board
0: penalize for a- being too good Jeez. Yeah,
1: well, well that's what i'd like to tell myself <laughs> yeah i'd take it absolutely
0: so is there that option though you're allowed to sort of approach the judges to request feedback
1: you can ask for your scorecard and sometimes they'll give you feedback but i can't i think the co- the rule is your coaches have to right. and it has to be after the event and they can't retrospectively change anything. So it's not going to change anything and it might actually make it worse because they like, Oh, Maddie complained about this. We don't like the Australians cause they come with too many issues. Um, but if you don't bring it up, then maybe they'll keep making the same error and over and over again. So maybe flagging something that, you know, is a consistent error might help you in the future. But, you know, that's the politics of the sport.
0: Always got a lot of the politics. Do you find that many skiers, once they retire, become judges? Is it sort of like, say, like in the AFL, you'll have a player might retire and go into umpiring, things like that?
1: Not so much, no. Wow. I've got to say, um, I don't, think, don't know too many young judges, really. Uh, I think it's because it's pretty niche in terms of the judging schedule is pretty small, so it's not something you can really do as a job uh it's more like a little bit of a fun on the side uh because you have that passion but a lot of people go into coaching less so in australia because well for me the biggest thing is that i spend spent so much travel time traveling and being on the road to then be a coach and then spend nine months a year out of my home again just seems absurd but Uh, Other countries, I think it's a lot smoother transition where you're away for three weeks, you come home for three weeks, right? Rather than we're away for four months, come home for two weeks. Like the ratio to having, you know, our own life, because we put everything on hold to go and pursue this passion, it just seems like I'd be putting it on hold again, but each to their own. But that seems like the more. Common pathways, the coaching. You,
0: coaching you, you've had all that those years behind you, Maddie. You've obviously only recently hung up the skis in the last couple of years. So I think you're entitled to have a bit of time where you can enjoy some sun for five minutes as well, right? <laughs> like you know, snow for nine months of the year. I got a very random question actually, which I'm surprised we've never asked any of our moguls guests because back in 2018, when we were doing our first Winter Olympics, we actually sort of did some live commentary of of the uh, moguls. So we would have been commentating. Yourself in the final, and then we did the men's one. And one of our co-hosts, Jared, liked to point out that coming down the moguls, they you would line up your favourite mogul. You would line up an exact mogul and go, "That's my favourite mogul. That's where I'm going to make my move." So, Maddie, can you confirm or deny that mogul skiers have a favourite mogul on a course?
1: Absolutely not. I don't know
0: what that is. <laughs> <This charity> is. <laughs> he, he He needs to do his research, doesn't he? <laughs>
1: i don't know where he got that one from uh, no, i can tell you which one i didn't like the most in the course normally you pick out a tricky element of like wait you, how you're gonna get over that mogul but it wouldn't be my favorite mogul by any stretch maybe the one at the very end because i've crossed the line <laughs> <laughs> i'm
0: not gonna say there was like the one that completely turned things around that got me the gold that one there go give it a pat all right good Thank you. I don't know if actually I threw Jared under the bus there. Maybe it was me who said that. But hey, he's not here today. So uh, I can easily uh, get away with that. When it came to you make your World Cup debut, that's obviously in the beginning of 2015. Do you set that target towards Pyeongchang? Is that sort of like the go to goal? Or does that become more of a target the more you become established on the tour? And it sort of looks like that that can become a possibility.
1: Um, I mean, I think I had it before then, to be honest, I, I wanted 2014, but things don't work out in terms of injuries. Uh, but I think that's what makes, I think most skiers would say that they, uh, would be thinking about those Olympics way before you get even close to them. It's just, the more you get close to it, the more you might verbalize those thoughts because you're not so embarrassed about telling other people that you might, you know, about this big dream that you might not achieve. Um, but yeah, I just had a lot of injuries up until 2014. So that was really out of the out of grasp for me. But into 2018, the girls' field of Australia was the most competitive it's ever been. So it actually became more and more nerve wracking the closer we got. Because um, we had eight girls fighting for four spots, and I had my result really early on for me. Um, but something I speak about a lot in other interviews, you probably heard about. Um, my anxiety and panic attacks into uh, Pyeongchang where I kind of lost myself to the sport where I thought my value as a person was my results so every weekend I put more pressure on myself to do even better next weekend because I'm getting so close to that goal it's like it's just in reaching sites and so then I would go worse because I'd be like no but I have to be better and then i you know be kicking myself all week thinking about what I could do differently trying so hard and the harder you try the the worse it got which is like the hardest part because it's not that like hard work and intensity it was like my brain overtaking what my body had trained to do all that time so I got stiff I got rigid it just got a bit ugly.
0: Can you look back on that now in hindsight and reflect and Add to your achievement, though, that you made that Olympic team, made the final based on everything that you were having to overcome on that side of things at that time.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would like, like, I say that I went to Pyeongchang as a, a bit of an observer, obviously I was an athlete, but I felt like I was dear in the headlights and I was watching everything go by. And I wasn't really there as the athlete and the competitor. And so I got to take on so much from that experience and learned so much and was like awfully proud of what I did because I could, I couldn't even land that top jump in training in Pyeongchang because I was, you know, head over heels, freaking out with this pressure. So to be able, to make down that first run, the relief was unreal. And then I i did get better that second and third run. You know, I was really proud of how I skied. Um and so I can walk away from the Olympics saying I did the best I possibly could on that given day, which is what the sport is. Like you can you can't control the weather or the judges or the core setup. But all you can control is doing the best you can on that given day. And we have all sorts of crap happen. Like you know when we go to the ages we're in the middle of nowhere. Lots of people we get food poisoning all the time but you got to compete so you do the best you can with that and for me at that point it was anxiety and and it, and it was that disbelief in myself that I deserve to be there and deserve to compete for Australia. Um, so overcoming that and really backing myself to get down that run and do my best run, I uh, was, you know, super proud of, but I really, after taking that time off, I realized, yeah, I want to go back as the competitor. And that's why I really wanted to go to Beijing was to, you know, go out there and go after it, having that experience, but you know, you. Some things in life work out and some things don't. So it is what it
0: is. I definitely want to touch on that sort of uh, shortly in regards to post Pyeongchang in the lead up to Beijing. But one thing I always kind of like learning a lot, particularly with our winter athletes, is that level of attention that all of a sudden gets brought on you at an Olympic Games. Because, you know, unfortunately in a country like Australia, we don't really pay attention to the majority of our winter athletes until uh, February every four years. And even... In the sport of moguls, all the eyes were, were on Brit kind of going into that because of the seasons that she had had, even Jakara sort of at that point as well. So how do you adapt with everything that you're dealing with to all of a sudden you've got Channel 7 wanting to interview you, the Sydney Morning Herald, these sort of places that six months prior probably sadly don't give a shit about you that much because it's not an Olympics
1: yeah it's a funny feeling right they call that post-olympic depression right because when you're at the olympics you're the be-all and end-all they did our washing our cooking our cleaning people come drive us in car services i didn't get the media attention so much but i felt the presence of australia in terms of being there to represent australia and like we got given two bags of kit and you just threw your bags out like your life prior to this was non-existent now you're here for australia and australia only which i thought was like whoa um but also the importance you felt as an athlete there because everyone was there for your beckoning call like they would do anything for you and you're like okay if you'll do anything for me that means i need to do this one little thing for you which is get down the course um but you definitely saw the pressure i think you know i can't speak for matt and brit but like brit into 2018 what happened there like the girl was skiing like no other and the closer so she got it all just went to crap and matt flew under the radar and he mm. got the medal right yeah. So where does that pressure come into and then in reverse Matt went to Beijing and yeah. had all that pressure obviously there's other things going on we don't know what's happening in the headspace like he had that injury into it could have been that but then you know you have Cooper come out of the woodworks when he doesn't have any of that pressure he's just flying there solo so I mean we have something to say for that where they just suddenly bank it on us rather than with the summer Olympics you know your Kate Campbell's they're getting it constantly they're used to that crap you know they're care if people call them they'll just ignore it rather than for us it's like does that pressure leading up and that added little you know three months of people calling you like i even got overwhelmed by a bag of clothes so (laughs) um yeah it is something to say because i think they're trying to be supportive the australian media so we can't really you know, be mad at them, but yeah, where's the support versus knowing what's best it's, for us
0: athletes. It, it is fascinating. And I always love hearing these these stories around this because, you know, as much as we we love to get the Matt Grahams and the Jakar Anthony's on the show to hear their story, it's sort of often the stories from the athletes who don't get that sort of spotlight or haven't come home with the medals who you, you learn the struggles where, and even based on what you're saying, Maddie, about like everything that you've overcome to just simply line up at the top of that hill and, you know, that's what to me as it's such an Olympics geek and Olympics fan is, is where it's fascinating and where we still sit in this Olympic movement that people can still feel that way because it's just, it's such an effort to even make an Olympic team than to start at the top. Like we had Taylor O'Neill on the show and learning everything that she overcame and everything along those lines. And it's just, it's insane to hear that. And then just for uh, what, 20 odd seconds, You're Mm. on screens on Channel 7 maybe at 10 o'clock at night and uh, just to go through all of that for that and you're like, wow, that's a – That's a journey and a half for 21 seconds.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty funny to look at that with that perspective. But, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have anyone coming on here that tell you that they don't love their sport.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But on the flip side, the the positive is we always love hearing about sort of those Olympic experiences outside of that. I mean, obviously, talking through what you were going with at the time, were you able to... I guess soak in any of that Olympic atmosphere, things like village life, like you talk about getting your kit, like do you kind of have a little moment of a pinch me moment of there are the Olympic rings, here I am, like I'm an Olympian.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the the Olympian part was crazy. That was definitely the bottom of my first run that I made was like my proudest moment at the Olympics, even though it wasn't my best run. Um, rather than the other runs, I got better and better. But, you know, to overcome that and to make it down and finally say I'm an Olympian. Uh, I had a pretty funny moment going up the chairlift. I had a few friends come and watch me as well as my family. Yeah, and t-shirts I with watch- your
0: face on it, didn't they, For a yes. memory? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I didn't know anything about that. So I'm going up the chairlift, you know, about to go to my run to compete and there's like five of my big fat <laughs> face on there. And mom said, well, I edited you up, honey. You look...
0: Oh, good. <laughs> what did you do, Mum? What did you think beforehand? <laughs>
1: yeah, I was like, did I need editing? But I thought it was really strange because Mum, like, Three weeks prior to it, it, was like, do you have a photo of you? I'm like, mum, I have so much on my Instagram. You have so many photos of me. What is this? <laughs> but now it all makes sense. So that was really cute to have them support me. But also, you know, that overwhelming film is like, oh, my God, they're here for me again. <laughs> That's
0: incredible, which, I mean, obviously, again, we're going to get to Beijing, but obviously a very different experience, Uh, you know, that if you had ultimately been able to compete there with that. So to kind of have that. And career itself, like it, it did seem like a very – hospital games like they got very much behind it it seemed like a very i guess fun winter games to be a part of in korea uh
1: i don't know about that hospitable because um we actually had a lot of issues in the area we were because they closed down the um resort the year prior so all the locals lost all their income so they were really upset because they they, their businesses went under so then when we turned up to compete for the olympics they were actually rioting wow um, because the government wasn't supporting them to be there so all the retail shops were burning their um retail gear out on the streets till four in the morning to keep us up my, one of my parents friends had to move at hostels because they were playing music and you stuff you stuff never all hear time. about
0: maddie
1: <laughs>
0: i I clearly have got the rose-tinted goggles on there that are the I've yeah. been sold with this but that that's insane I've never heard that story before
1: yeah so it's quite unfortunate because the people didn't want us there but they had a lot of volunteers and great people that were in the village but if you left the village you could definitely feel that, you know, they had been hard done by, by this Olympics. They had not got anything to gain by being locals and being a part of it. Fascinating. Um, so, yeah.
0: Very, very fascinating. That's a, that's a whole other podcast in itself kind of getting to, to that because obviously, you know, I remember back in Sochi, kind of everything around that, Rio, then Beijing, like kind of all the stuff was there. But from memory, like at the time and everything, there was nothing negative about Pyeongchang. So <laughs> insane. Wow. Yeah. Glass ceiling broken there. All of a sudden, I, I'm thinking about that. I want to talk about that. The second run, though, for you. So you you set a you set your score. You you what? There's five skiers to come after you in that point. Obviously, two more will go ahead of you. So you're teetering on there to the the final spot to get into that final. And then Camille goes down. Now, like I, I always love talking about these sports where. Again, you never want to wish harm on your competitors. You never want to wish anything on those lines. But there's obviously that part of you where it's kind of like, oh, just like make a mistake or like do this or do that. Like, what is going through your head before she goes down, knowing that like you're just hanging on by a thread to get into that final?
1: Yeah. Look, I was watching them all and, um, you know, another media one where (laughs) the guy, so you got, you walk through the media turnstile before you, when you leave the thing. And the guy goes to me, what place are you in? Oh, 20th, you won't stay. I don't oh. need to talk to you. Was,
0: Where was he from? Shame him right now.
1: <laughs> I can't remember. It wasn't Australia. Right, Australia that's fine. Was never to us. Yep. No, no, it was an international one, but I was like, Oh, <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. Um, so I was like, and off I walk, but yeah, I was watching it cause I was doing the media. So I was trying to concentrate on these conversations with people, but also I was like, what is going on up there? I need to know what's happening there. Um, but yeah, you kind of, you know, and we know all these people we've trained, we've competed with so many of these people for so long. So you want them to do well. Um, but obviously I wanted to do well. And in that point I'd done a way better run in that, in that second run, but I hadn't got much of better score. So I was really pissed off at that too. So I was like, <sighs> <laughs> I mean, you want to punch um, that
0: journalist. Like, oh, yeah. What did you
1: say to me? <laughs> I was like,
0: no worries. Wow. geez, <laughs> yeah. that's that's terrible. That's, um, yeah. that's really – and obviously then it's a quick turnaround because then you're the first skier as sort of the lowest qualifier. You're straight up to the top of the hill straight away. So do you even have a moment where you can speak to your coach or kind of like try and reflect on what you then need to do from that point on?
1: Yeah, I had a brief moment because we were standing there waiting for everyone to get through. So we were still talking, but we weren't really talking about – tactics because we were very tense about planning for something that may or may not happen um but i do have a coach that comes to the top as well so he's more like in that headspace getting you back in the zone again uh i can't actually remember what what was said to be honest it was all just a little bit chaotic but i think it was just like go 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 up you go now (laughs) quick (laughs) get back in the zone
0: (laughs) and do you walk past that journalist and go ha ha You want to talk to me now?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the second time I came through, but he didn't want to talk to me, obviously. He's probably embarrassed. I was like, so should You You should have refused.
0: You should have been like, nah, not talking to you now. See how it is. Screw you. that's, That's fascinating. I mean, did you set yourself a goal in Pyeongchang? Obviously, you said you were dealing with all the stuff you were dealing with, but had you set that self, like, I want to make the finals, I want a medal, like kind of like what was your goal and did you ultimately leave Pyeongchang satisfied with 20th place?
1: Uh, I would say no. <laughs> I wanted to be in the, so the next final was top 12 final, which um, would have been like a good result for me continue considering the year that I had been and Like that would have been really on par with the results and like my best skiing. But that last run, I skied quite well. I just drifted my bottom air and you know, you can watch other people's runs and you can say they had a bigger drift or they had a bigger mistake and they didn't get as deducted as me. But at the end of the day, when you're last out of the gate, they know that you're last. So they start the scores lower because they want to start building. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from that back end, you've kind of got nothing to lose, right? Because you've got to go all or nothing. So that's like the sweet thing about coming in last. But you also do have to prove to yourself or prove to the judges that you deserve to be higher. And unfortunately making a mistake like that, that's not proving to the judges I deserve to be higher. So That's, you know, you know, you win some, you lose some. And I went for it. Uh, We'd been trying to, my drift, my bottom air was drifting left. Uh, drifting right all comp and so I try. we were trying to get it more and more left and I committed to that left but I committed too hard to the left (laughs) so I drifted I over drifted so it's just like would have been taking what I'd been doing all comp being better probably but it may not have gotten me in that 12th anyway so I needed to change something I needed to do something different it just didn't work out
0: still forever can be introduced though as Olympic finalist Maddie Himbre, yeah. they can never take that away from you
1: of course of course yeah some people like to say was an olympian and <laughs> i don't never. want to be a wanker and be like it's not was i still are always <laughs> yes no I, i'm
0: firmly on board with that that's you know once an olympian always an olympian right so you know always always keep on that level one thing i noticed so maddie is your lucky number 20 by any chance
1: no, but I did get 20th place a lot. Yeah, that's, that's right. what I was like. Yeah. World Cup
0: debut, 20. World Championship debut, 20. Olympic debut, 20. So, like, I just feel yeah. like this is something that if it's not your lucky number, maybe it, it needs to be because it can <laughs> to just follow you so much. Yeah, I
1: like the single digits more. But, you know, <laughs> you, win stuff.
0: Oh, you can be different. Be, be hipster <laughs> with it. Oh, no, we'll look at Jakara with a gold medal. Does she have three 20th places? No. Uh, so, you know, you've kind of to go that way. Obviously then in the lead up to Beijing, so obviously a fair bit happens in that period, but how quickly has your mind switched from, okay, one Olympics, as you're saying, you sort of, you took this as almost just like a trial run. Oh, well, this is, you know, I'm going to go to more of these in the future. And can you sort of give us a, I guess, a brief summary of sort of that four year period that ultimately led to, uh, unfortunately, not making Beijing, you were the first alternate, but uh, sort of uh, give us a bit of an overview of kind of what happened in that period.
1: Oh, that's right. that's a very chaotic four years for me. So um, after the Pyeongchang, I took about six to nine months off for mental health leave. I tried to come back after Pyeongchang for one camp and I still wasn't right in the headspace. Like just taking that little bit of time wasn't enough. I still need to define myself outside of sport again and really find out if I still love sport the way that I did because I kind of fell out of love for the Mughals. So it was just kind of riding the wave and I wasn't going to give up on my dream. Uh, but then I, you know, found myself, I was feeling much better myself. The panic attack started to decrease a lot. I was getting on top of the anxiety, had some really good coping techniques and I realized I still wanted to ski. Yay. Um, so I went back to the, uh, Australia and said, Hey, happy to come back now. And they said that they would take me back, um, as long as I fixed my mental health. Um, but unfortunately that wasn't the case politics. Yay. Um, we had a bit of change of staff, but they decided they wouldn't take me back on, um, as an athlete. So I was then an unsupported athlete and I said, well, I've still qualified for world cup starts. And they said, no, you haven't. And I was like, yes, I have. So then I had to fight for the world cup starts, uh, got back on world cup and, but in the competition leading in Perisha, I was trying to like prove myself a lot. You know, it's really easy to go back and say, if I'd done something different and I was, I was really angry at the Australian system and not helping me there. And, and nationals I'd had a big crash the day before and I probably wasn't in the right right body space to compete. Um, but I said, I just want to get back in the start gate. I want to remember that. I still, I still can do this. So I got back in the start gate and I qualified in fourth with like a mediocre run. So I was like, oh, I'm killing it <laughs> <laughs> this time off. And then I went back around and I said I wasn't going to compete in finals, but then they're like, well, you've made it in fourth, may as well. And so I wanted to do the back full the trick that I wasn't allowed to do at Pyeongchang because they were like, you need to do the best run you can. So we kind of put that on the back burner. So I wasn't sure if that was the reason why I wanted to keep skiing to like prove to myself I could do this trick, this harder trick, and maybe that would be like tick box, now I can be done. Anyways, I bent back around, did that off the top here, and it was slushy because it's Australia, and my leg just went in the snow and I was like, something's not right. I went down, I skied down to the side. Like I didn't even cry. I was like, ooh, this feels a bit funny. Um, But I'd re-torn my ACL, so third ACL. I
0: was going to say you, you you had triple digits there, the hat trick, right?
1: Yeah, left, right, left. Um, and then because I'd fought for my World Cup starts, and I was, you know, not so sure about what Australia was going to do. I hid it from everyone because I didn't want to lose those starts, and I didn't want to have to um go through that process with them. And I didn't want to. I didn't think I could go through another ACL surgery and having that much time off sport when I just had nine months. I felt like if I took another nine months off for an ACL, I would never make it back. And I just was like, you know, I was so dying to get in the start gate and wanting to prove to myself that I still deserve to be there because, you know, those decisions that made me feel isolated made me feel like I didn't deserve to be on the team or didn't deserve to be uh, on the World Cup team. So it was a lot of like mental game in terms of, you know, continually telling myself, you know, I should be here. Uh, so we tried to go in the non-operative way and went overseas. And the first time I went skiing and then about a month in, I was flipping doing tops and bottoms and my knee like gave way. And it was probably the worst crash I've ever had in my entire life in terms of pain. Um, so we came back to the drawing board, re-evaluated everything, and then COVID hit.
0: Yay! Mm, heard um, that. I think yeah. I remember that.
1: So I didn't know – we didn't know what was going on then, how long it would be, and when I'd get back on snow, when I could test my knee again. So we went through another year, went back overseas, and so we're into, like, the Beijing qualifying year now. Um, And so I still have no ACL, and so it's just a bit of to and fro, like – some I could ski really well and I was skiing better than I ever had. I had to change my technique slightly to not be so crazy in terms of how big and how messy I was. I had to be more neat and conservative um, to protect my knee. But I had developed a lot of technical skills so that there was quite beautiful skiing compared to what I used to do. So I I kind of had to mold the way that I was skiing. Um, but unfortunately with the NoACL, sometimes it would just tweak and I'd have like 4 days days off snow where it would just be swollen and then i go back on again um but you know in the competition circuit you've got to be ready when they're ready right <laughs> so my pre-qualifying into the Olympics wasn't great I was injured twice then I had like a neck one too it took my head out in one of them and then I was just like down in the dumps you know it's just like hard to get yourself back up every week when you're being like fighting through this never ending battle of injuries and I don't deserve to be here and the team making me feel like crap and all this sort of shit that's happening over there. Like it's just, it's so hard and so insular because you live in this bubble, this world and you can't see out of it. And so, and like, and you know, because of COVID as well, we can't talk and hang out with people. So your bubble is even smaller. And so I understand maybe my perspective was was definitely warped, well, not maybe, but you know it was a really hard year to go through. And then, yeah, to not get selected when somebody else was injured was really, really tough. Um and so walking away from the sport last year, finding out that the the girl they decided to take couldn't get down the course when I was told' I'm on hold there was like very upsetting because it feels very personal. And at the end of the day, it's not, and I need to like step away from that. Um, but it seems like that they've been coming after me ever since, you know, I took that mental health leave, um, which I'm sure it's, they can't even think to give two shits about me. So how would they even think about that? Like, they're so obsessed with Jakar and Matt, but you know, in my world, I'm like, what is happening to me? Um, so that's really upsetting thing to go through. And I think it's something that I will never kind of understand Um, but I can walk away from the sport and those four years being really proud of what I did do in that space. And I wouldn't change anything. Like I love the athlete I became and the way I worked really hard and the person that I am now, um, and how I handled all those, you know, political situations, um, and can be really proud of that rather than, you know. Like I said, you can't focus on the things you can't control. They chose that person. They're going to back that person um and that's sport. That's like anything in life, there's politics, there's things that go wrong.
0: Is there a pathway, though, there, Maddie, that obviously we're talking, and it's what been about eighteen months in all since all of this. but in the line where you could see an avenue where maybe there's some mediation, some help and that you could then be brought on to somebody to help athletes maybe in a similar situation with you, that you know to kind of, say like hey like look this is what happened sort it all out but i'd like to try and be able to assist some of these athletes who are maybe feeling like i was so that can help them become better athletes and once they leave the sport maybe be able to deal with this a little bit better
1: yeah i mean i'm really interested in the emotional regulation in sport right now because i was taught the physical and mental two separate things so i'm yeah i kind of don't know how to approach the sporting world in terms of combining the two. But I would love to like mentor and coach people in that professional setting, whether it's sport or you know corporate, but helping people understand these emotions, regulate these emotions so that when they get to that point where they need to perform, they can. So they're not, you don't feel like you're the observer like I was and miss that opportunity, but you go into every option or every major thing, knowing you've got that preparation, you've got that backing. So, you know, I definitely learned a lot and I'm like, I'm enjoying speaking about it and love giving back to the community. And so hopefully there's, you know, something good that comes out of all that bad that happens to me, but like, you know, nothing good comes out of being handed an opportunity, right? Um, So it's, yeah, it's an interesting space.
0: Do you have any advice for people who are listening who maybe are in sort of a situation that you you were in and what sort of avenues that they can try and do to get some support?
1: Mm, yeah, well, I mean, I think it's like really looking after yourself. So I, I kind of lost myself because I was so invested in this sport, Um, and I gave everything into it. So I think keeping that perspective is really important, especially in those younger ages. So keeping up your uni, keeping up your school friends, keeping up some work if you can, having these other avenues and other people to keep you that bubble really expand, right? So that you can see that perception. So that when on a training day something's not going well you don't feel like everything the whole world is crumbling um and then you know we talk about those mindfulness um, techniques those uh coping techniques because at the end of the day we all feel anxiety and that's fine because that's that our fight or flight response and we want that to happen because otherwise we wouldn't have survived this far but you need to have those coping techniques ready so that when you get to those, um, you know, high pressure situations, you've already practiced it in a controlled, safe environment, and you can move on. So I like Smiling Mind, the app. Um, I still see a psychologist now to this day, not very occasionally like I used to, but I think it's great for anyone, whether you think you have a mental health problem or not. I think it's excellent. So I think it's just having that awareness and slowly developing that extra awareness, getting extra tools in your toolkit because you won't know what will come to you in the future, but you want to be prepared for it.
0: I still find it very inspirational though, Maddie, that through all of that you know, period where you were having the panic attacks and anxiety and everything that you could still strap on the skis and compete in Olympics and still make a final. Like, I mean, I still think that's, you know, through those, we all have the dark days. We all obviously have these these periods, but For many people, they don't sort of wake up in a bad day and go, oh, well, I think I could go on the Olympics this day. Like it's it's incredible, I think, to overcome that, which I'm sure you use in sort of the, the tools that you're doing now to kind of promote this a little bit more out there because that in itself is inspirational.
1: Yeah, I think as part of the persona, right as well, that I was like trying to embody this athlete and be this person where a lot of people didn't really know what was going on because I was hiding it. Yeah. Uh, And so I was like, if I pretend it doesn't happen, it doesn't exist, then it won't come all crumbling down. But at the Olympics, when we finished, I got the most awful flu. I've never had the flu before. I couldn't even stand up. I had to crawl to the bathroom because I was thought I was going to faint. So my body was taking on the physical of the mental, like I was 10 kilos lighter than I am now I was under in the 40s I was so ill so sick because my body just crumbled that you know post-Olympic depression where I just you know I'd made that goal I'd I'd done the hard work and now I could finally relax and it just yeah it shut down (laughs) fully shut down
0: wow the the term post-Olympic depression I used to always coin the term I think it was after Athens when I was a 17-year-old, you know, ridiculously sad that the Olympics were over. What am I going to do for the next four years of my life? So I I made a term called SALS, Severe Olympic Withdrawal Syndrome, which, uh, you know, every Monday after a winter or a summer games, I'm just like, I've got SALS. I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit sad when it comes to that. Uh, Mate, we're going to get to some sort of questions to wrap this up, some fun get-to-know-style you questions to to obviously uh, end this out on. But one thing I wanted to touch on, just going through your Instagram, I see you've recently taken up Aussie rules. Is this a thing (laughs) that you've recently started with? And as somebody from Sydney, I'm obviously originally from Tasmania, so I come from an Aussie rules background. I like seeing that people in this state pick it up. Like, where did this decision come from and how are you finding it?
1: yeah i wanted to do a team sport so i hadn't done one since i was in year 10 that was when i did my first knee and i obviously didn't have that team environment at the end of my career where i had all these people around me so i wanted to go back to team sport i also when i retired last year couldn't exercise i couldn't go to the gym for a month i'd walk in do a circle check it all out and walk back out. That's what I do every Um, time.
0: That's what I've done my entire life. Don't (laughs) worry.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, I need motivation as well. Um, And so, yeah, I looked up on the university website because I went to Sydney University and I looked at all the different sports, thought, what can I do with the least amount of skill but the most amount of athleticism? And don't get me wrong, AFL, they are very skillful. But I can still just run on the wing all day. <laughs> it's seagulls <laughs> chasing
0: a chip, let's be honest. Even if somebody it loves is. a sport, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's madness, but it's really fun. It's good to have such a good. A crew of girls around us. Great excuse to run and train every week, although in the winter it's a little bit dark and drab. Um, <laughs> but it's really fun and it's nice to get that competitive streak as well without being like too invested where it's like all heartbreaking rather than now if we lose, we just go to the um, pub and have a few beers. <laughs> so that's like a much better outcome. Well,
0: I was gonna say, like, is there a level there where you kind of look at it as a pathway to maybe an AFLW appearance all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Absolutely not. I've done too many ACLs. <laughs> I did not want to be injured again. <laughs>
0: did you end up getting the ACL repaired?
1: No, uh, that was kind of, AFL was the test. Like if I could go through playing a game of AFL and it'd be fine, then all good. So yeah, I haven't really had any issues since it. It was only in that like last 1% of mogul skiing where I was really pushing it in particular in competition where you're making mistakes and you're recovering, really pushing that that little bit is where it would yeah swell up and just be unhappy for a few days but i don't put my body on the line like that anymore so hopefully it's gonna be all good
0: do you you find yourself now that you're playing the sport that you get invested in in watching it like do you become a swans or a Mm giant supporter or kind of just don't really give a shit
1: I mean, I love all live sports, don't get me wrong, but, yes, I do start watching it because I used to go to the games, like, and, but I was like, what's going on? They're just yeah. running from <laughs> one end to the other. <laughs> AFL is the game with so many rules but no rules is what I always say. That's I'm like, you blew at. the whistle multiple times, but you're also smacking into each other going from <laughs> other end. So I'm like, no idea. So now I can kind of understand. So I'm like, ooh, tactics. Um, so, yes, I do like watching it. Uh, so hopefully tomorrow night, Swans.
0: Yeah, well, look, I've been in, living in Sydney now for nearly eight months and it has surprised me. I've been to a few Swans games that there is a lot more of a supporter base here for, than I ever gave it credit for. So, um, But I will say, and again, maybe I'm just being biased, having gone to lots of NRL games, better atmosphere at an AFL game than an NRL game. Can, can, do you think that or a different viewpoint?
1: um i've been to too many nrl games to be honest but i like the afl crowd yeah it's a bit more family orientated i went to soccer the other day and it was good until they all started falling on the floor at the which, end which there.
0: soccer did you go to was that the grand final
1: no, it was a while back.
0: Right, okay. Um, but
1: it was one of the, like, yeah, it was A League still. But it um yeah, then they all started falling over because they wanted to <laughs> reap the benefits. And I was like, this is so frustrating. <laughs> we we're playing such good football before and now we're gone. But that was a good atmosphere too. A lot of kids there and a lot of like cheering. They had like um drums and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, American America sport like no other. So we were always lucky to see basketball and a and ice hockey when we we're over there. Well, I guess the-
0: you're gonna ask that to just in the olympic experiences do, do you get an opportunity because obviously your events quite early on in the in the olympics so do you then take the rest of that to go check out many other sports <laughs>
1: Yeah, I so I when I was sick, I came home because I was so unwell. So I came home for four days and kind of recuperated, and then I went back because ah, I wanted to go. Yes, nice. I wanted to go to other events and I wanted to support people that were supporting us. The big supporters in that our team that year were the bobsled boys. Yes, they came from that rugby background. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've met any of them, but they love that team sport, that energy, and they were the end events. So they came to every event up until that. Great. They were such good supporters. So. It was really like... It meant a lot for me to go to that event. I did also go to the um, ice hockey grand final and wow. that was unreal. I was sitting in the Russia. Russia beating
0: area. Germany. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, I was sitting with the Russians. So, that was super cool. Um, but yeah, we try to get as many events as you can, but it's kind of like balloted. Um, mm. So, if you can put your name down and if you get to go to an event, you get to go.
0: Well, I, look, I, I, the time we're recording this, we're, we're just over a year away from, from Paris and this is going to be something that I'm probably going to bring up on every single interview between now. Now I'm Paris. I have gotten tickets to Paris next year. I'm going to my first Olympics next year. Not in the way I thought I would have as a kid, but Mm -hmm. hey, it still counts to me. But I am very, very excited to to go. I think I've got like eight different events I'm going to, so I'm thrilled. So I'm going to be doing everything I can to soak up those atmospheres, Maddie. So any advice, obviously, from a different perspective but I, I'm, I just feel I'm going to be too overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed watching it on TV for 16 days and then podcasting every single day about it. So this is me being there. So mm-hmm. please pass on the advice. I, I would love to learn.
1: Um, I, don't, I think it's just like soak it up. Talk to as many people as you oh, can. Oh, I will. Like- Olympic fanatics are like the funniest and most loving people ever. And they all got crazy stories as to how yeah. and what brought them there. And I think that's like a really cool thing to soak in. Um, and then, I mean, you got to follow your players, your teams and really back them like no other. Um, but also going to like those random events that you might not have decided. But that's to that's go what see. I've got. Yeah. Like, so
0: like, cause obviously the tickets are quite sold out. So like my, my peste la resistance, I can't even speak French. I'm, I'm going to struggle, but like, I'm weirdly into handball. So I've gotten tickets to the bronze medal games for both the handball matches. I've got tickets to to basketball, to, to soccer. to I Women's golf for like a day was really cheap. And like I'm honestly not a big golf fan, but I'm like, fuck it. It's the Olympics. I'll watch anything. So I'm really excited to go check out a day of golf. So like, it's just kind of all these things where I'm just like, I will see anything. I will don't care. Dressage. I will sit in a stand and watch a horse lift its foot for five hours. I'm on board.
1: And those will be the fanatic supporters as well. So they'll be the most interesting ones to to do. Like everyone goes to basketball. Yeah. Whatever.
0: Yeah, it's like Swimming? Oh, God. Oh, look at that. You know, Cairns Ken, won another gold you know, medal. For,
1: yeah, I know. Cool.
0: Like, good for her. No, no,
1: they get so many opportunities. That's what <laughs> shits me about swimming. You guys get, like, 10 attempts at a goal. No wonder you come home with so many.
0: Now, now I've got to ask you this, then, too, on the freestyle skiing front, all right? It's all well and good in Beijing. Eileen Gu, the most successful freestyle Olympian of all time. She had, like, 50 events. Until recently, mogul skiers, you've got one event. Bring in dual moguls fantastic. Fantastic, But where's the fairness in that? You know, Mikhail Kingsbury wins a hundred gold medals in like a hundred different Olympics. So come on, no disrespect to Eileen goo, but like she's got more opportunities. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah, not fair. I get that. She can, she's obviously very talented across the space, whatever. Don't show off, but we'd love to event. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bring in Jill moguls.
0: Yeah. Work it based on averages versus events you can do. So Michael Phelps, sure you've won 400 gold medals, but if you like compare that to the amount of events that are available to you per Olympics, then there's got to be some sort of ratio that we can work out there in terms of who's the most successful, right? There we go. I like this. Maddie. we wrap up with a set of fun, get to know you questions. As always, these are questions that were posed to Team Canada athletes ahead of both Rio and Pyeongchang. Just fun, random little questions. There's a drawing element. You don't have to do it. It's optional. Uh, we've only ever had Winter Olympians do this before. So you can always uh, draw something and send it in to us afterwards and we can post it up on our social media if you want to. It's usually draw a picture of yourself, draw a picture of a teammate, an animal, things like that. But speaking of Macau Kingsbury, I'm actually using the same questions that were given to the goat ahead of Pyeongchang. So uh, just there's no pressure here that you kind of – any any Macau Kingsbury stories? Do you bump shoulders with him much on the tour out there?
1: Yeah, uh, Mick is, yeah, he's awesome, to be honest. Um, he loves to party as well. He's got <laughs> both, best of both sides on him. But yeah, he's very, he knows, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. But uh, you'd assume as much. Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, I still like uh, the, the funnest one we've ever had here. Colin, uh, as I said, big moguls fan. Absolutely loves the Deferla Point sisters. And we had all three of them on recently, and I basically love to embarrass him quite often because in the background he has more pictures of him with the deferla Point sisters than him with his own wife. So, you know, it was...
1: They're practically famous. Exactly.
0: Yeah. There's a reality show on them in, in completely in French in, uh, in Quebec. What? Yeah, yeah. There you go.
1: Like...
0: You have to track it down. Colin's learning How's French him? so he can watch it. Um, <laughs> so that's basically how it is. Uh, your favourite ever Olympic moment is...
1: Oh, I thought you were going to give me multiple choice for a second. Then. Oh, no. Uh, this, I mean, look,
0: I can make your own up. So clearly it was your own uh,
1: moment,
0: Kathy in 2000, like Dale in yeah. 2006.
1: <laughs> is it meant to be my It's yours. So it's, your,
0: my- it's your, your complete – I mean, I can tell you Mikhail's moment if you want, but no, this is yours and it can be your own competing, it can be watching on TV as a, as a kid or an adult, and it's entirely up to you.
1: Um. I mean – At Pyeongchang, it was pretty exciting when Matt won second place, and we had taken over the entire of this bar. It was um, nuts bar, so we say go nuts at nuts, (laughs) and it was only Australians, and they were playing. I don't want to sing it, but down under song. You can
0: sing it. It's all right, man. This is an open space. You can do what you like. I'm from the
1: land down under. There that we one. go. <laughs> Anyways, we'd we paid it about five times, thinking Matt was coming into the room. But so when he finally came in, we we're like, Yes. Um, so that was pretty exciting to celebrate with him not only like his Olympic and his Olympic model, but the fact that Australia was all around each other, getting, backing each other. You know, we love to get behind the underdog and Matt was a bit the underdog that year. So, yeah, it was very exciting.
0: The thing I loved about Pyeongchang, it's sort of, you know, we go back to that pressure and kind of the media attention that goes on the Australian athletes and then, you know, both Sochi and Pyeongchang were deemed failures because we didn't win any gold but like i never look at it that way but to come away with a couple of silvers obviously with jared and scotty also meddling as well with the bronze like it just seemed like such a a vibe of an atmosphere and then obviously fast forward to beijing our most successful in terms of medals one like it just it always that's what i always love about the winter olympians in australia it's just such a tight little group there's only 30 or 40 of you come away with like three or four medals and you're just as happy as if we leave you know tokyo with like 15 gold and the amount that we win in the summer it's fantastic
1: yeah, I think everyone's part of that journey. You see people ski and compete, so you know what you're expecting rather than you go to the swimming and you expect gold medals yeah. rather than we go to the the moguls event and we expect to see Matt ski well, right? So yeah. we're like, and I think the difference in winter, we always talk about, you know, in summer you could cross over between any sport, right? I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but in winter I would never do any of those other sports. Like aerial skiing, absolutely. Not jumping off a four-story building, like half-pipe. Yes, we flip in half-pipe, but we get 15 meters of landing. They get three. Mm. Like it's just absurd. So I think that's where there's like the respect of what everyone does is absolutely nuts and I'll let you do your own thing, but we have so much respect for what everyone does and get to see them so close up because I guess it's just a small, small space. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the kind of the the niche of winter sports. Well, it's
0: that appeal. It's that death-defying nature because I think we established that the only sport in the Winter Olympics that can't kill you is curling. And, I mean, you probably could get killed if you put your head down as they go into, you know, the end of that. But even then, we saw how much Australia fell in love with Tali and Dean uh, last year during the Olympics and just what they've sort of done for that sport in this country. And I always say on this show, Maddie, Winter Olympics is my favourite of the Olympics. I love the Summer Olympics, don't get me wrong, but... Put a gun to my head. I'm I'm Team Winter all the time. I absolutely love it. And as a kid, I like I remember '94, like the year you were born. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I remember when we won our first bronze. '98. I was in love with Zali Stegall when she won that bronze medal. Like I like everyone knows, only knows her now as a politician. When I got her on the show, like years before she began politics, that was like my biggest fanboy moment. I'm like Sally <laughs> Stegall. Here she is. And now I don't think anybody realizes she's an Olympic bronze medalist. But yeah, love love the win. Don't get me started here, Maddie. I'm too geeking out right now as it is. Uh, as a kid. Who was your favorite sports team?
1: Oh, I liked individual athletes. That
0: works. Who was your your favorite, like, who was your, your idol growing up?
1: Um... Well, my idol when I was, like, 14 was this girl that had done three ACLs in mogul skiing. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> you you were on the same path for her. <laughs> yeah, and so I
1: was like, oh, well, she can do it, I can do it. Um, but when I was younger, I did go to a lot of those gymnastics competitions, but I can't even remember the name of the girl, so it can't even be that much of an idol. I'm so I'm sorry. i trying to <laughs> even
0: think of uh, those sort of Sydney 2000-like, um, oh there yeah i know i know exactly we
1: had a lot back in the day now we've got we've just got lauren mitchell so easy just throw it out there yeah yeah (laughs) george goodwin all those sort of people yeah Yeah. no
0: i i completely know because i remember there was one she ended up going into cirque du soleil and i remember um kind of she got notable for that as well but um yeah no i completely go i i I remember I, i don't know again six years old in sydney but jai uh jai wallace the trampolinist who won a silver medal in sydney Remember I've heard him? the name. Yeah, yes. our only ever Olympic medalist in um, in uh, gymnastics. Great guy. Uh, a lot of fun. If you could be any superhero, who would you be? I don't
1: know Spider Man. He gets to kiss the pretty girl.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I like that. that. That works. Do you have a favourite Spider Man? Are you a Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland?
1: No, I didn't really watch any sort of.
0: Well, there goes that next question. I'm a
1: Transformers fan. If I was going to be anything, I'd be Bumblebee.
0: Okay. New one's coming out, I believe, at the time of recording this. I think we're, what, a week or so away from a new Transformers movie, aren't we? So...
1: I couldn't tell you. There you go. I saw the first <laughs> one.
0: I think everyone saw the, yeah, the style above Megan run. Fox one. That was fun.
1: Megan Fox. Yeah, you yeah.
0: got to go. That oh, part. I think I was the right age for that. I was definitely. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. I was the audience for when Megan Fox is bent over that car as like a teenager. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Uh, if you could be an Olympian in any other sport besides your own, what would it be?
1: Um. So I used to say gymnastics, but I think I've got to pick a team sport now. Um. I mean, I'm not very good at swimming. So I wanted to say like water polo because I know a few people in that. but I think soccer. I really like yeah. soccer. and um, Maybe that's because they're getting so much hype at the moment and they're well supported and well loved. So maybe I'm going down that route of like, want to be backed by Australia. Um, Absolutely allowed to be. I think, like, I mean, (laughs) at the
0: time, obviously at the time of releasing this, the the Women's World Cup has been on, but at the time of recording this, we're pre that. I mean, you got much tickets, you're pumped for all the games that we've got going in Sydney and the final, of course, too.
1: Yeah, I don't have any tickets, but uh, I should definitely. Do that.
0: I, I might know someone who might be able to get you a ticket or two. So I uh, just, you know, I'll, I'll put you that can, there. <laughs> nudge, put nudge, out there. Nudge, nudge, wink,
1: the
0: wink. <laughs> uh, your favorite music artists are?
1: Oh, um, I used to love Kesha. Yes. Um, you know, keeping it trashy in my teen years. <laughs>
0: um,
1: uh, i don't really think i mean i'm just like i would listen to anything live when i listened i always listened to music when i skied but it was always house music with just bumping beats it wasn't so much of Mm -hmm. lyrics um but you my number one top played from last year from spotify was definitely beyonce and the year before it was as well um so strong independent woman she's got some yeah, she's got some great beats, but she's also got some ones you can scream at the world when you're all pissed off. So. Well, she's uh,
0: just started a tour, hasn't she? I don't think she's announced Australia yet, but I can't imagine that won't sell out in about five seconds when she does, right?
1: Yeah, better be up on the uh, refresh button.
0: Yeah, I'm sure a course stadium will have a couple of shows going uh, going on that soon. If you could eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: I used to say cheese, mm. but apparently I'm lactose intolerant, and I get ah. acne from it, so maybe not. Damn. Um, <laughs> I love pasta. Mm. Can I say pasta as a general? Because I can make yeah. it whatever I want every time. Um, but yeah, pasta is my go-to. You
0: went that route. I'm I'm keto, so cheese is my best friend, and pasta, is sadly, my number one enemy. But I do miss it. <laughs> so you know, but lactose. I mean, is lactose-free cheese any good?
1: I don't know. I haven't tried it. I just do like, I don't eat it at home because I'm mm. trying to be good. But out on the weekends, like if I'm having a nice little burrata with my friends, I'm not going to say no.
0: Exactly. A couple of pizzas yeah. here and there won't hurt. Uh, your favorite place to compete. Uh, I guess we could say was now rather than is.
1: Um, so I have two. Sorry. Um. First one, Deer Valley. It's like the most spectacular always. event. It's, it's, it's
0: Mikhail's answer here too. I swear yeah. that's the number one we always get, Deer Valley.
1: Yeah, night comp, you've got a huge amount of people watching. Also my first World Cup. Um, and you get to stay in McMansions. They have ski valet. It is just bougie to bougie can all be. Um, But my second one is in Japan. So we used to go to a little tiny resort called Tazuako. So completely different to Dew Valley, but in Japan, mogul skiing is also kind of famous. So lots of people come watch, there's media, there's all this stuff going on. um, But the favorite part is after the competition, we're all staying in the same hotel and we have a tuna party. So they get this big old tuna, this guy, the chef with the chef hat all going on, samurai sword smacking into this tuna and so all the poor vegans like ah. um but yeah we get all the different parts so you've seen the really red parts of the tuna and then the lighter colors yeah and you get it over rice you get it as sashimi and then we have an onsen in there so we shuffle down in our little kimonos down to the onsen and then we shuffle back upstairs to the karaoke room wow. so Japan is just like an, un. the culture is so cute, although we do have to eat like noodles for breakfast, um, which when you're competing, last thing I need in my stomach, I just need a piece of toast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the culture, the place, it's like it's a big affair, even though it's in this tiny little quaint little resort in the middle of nowhere it's nothing like deer valley but it's still spectacular in its own way
0: so what we're basically saying is we hope Sapporo will get the 2030 olympics in so that japan can go crazy for having some moguls there (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah they'll go crazy for
0: sure wow that's that's crazy to think that i I've been, i think i've been to two ski resorts in my life and one was in salt lake city i think it was one of the, i don't know which event it held at the olympics in 2002 but i remember going to the bathroom and feeling like this bathroom was more fancy than any house i've ever lived in, in my life uh, <laughs> so uh, they they must love their ski resorts to the point in utah that they just uh turn them into something else um Your favourite thing to do in the summer is...
1: Uh go to the beach. I'm very lucky. I live five minutes from Bondi. Also have a little cute little punk if you also stalk on my Instagram. Lots better. <laughs> there. uh, there's a dog beach down the road, so we go to the dog beach a lot. Um and yeah, just try and get some vitamin D um hang out in the sunshine.
0: I have to say, since living in Sydney, you know, I've done the done the beach tours and uh, I'm quite partial to Bondi. When people ask me that question of what's your favorite, I'm like, yeah, it's probably cliche, but Bondi, you know, manly's fine. Um, I like Cronulla, though. My mum my grew up in Cronulla, and I'm a Sharks fan, so I'm a bit partial to the Shire, but um, Bondi's pretty nice. It's, it's
1: yeah, good. it's beautiful either way. The beaches, you get away from the crowds, exactly. but um, Bondi's full of beautiful people, beautiful beach. So exactly. what more could you want? And some good
0: TV shows. We've got Vets, we've got Rescue, like, you know, you name it. It's there. Uh, last question for you, Maddie. Your favourite cartoon growing up to watch was?
1: We weren't even allowed to watch TV. My mom was nice.
0: You're too busy doing 360s to prove that you can ski. Wow.
1: Uh, I remember going to my mom used to drop us off to a friend's house before school and we'd watch Teletubbies before yes. school. And I remember being excited because we were never allowed to watch. TV before school, but because we were dropped to somebody else's, we just watched Teletubbies.
0: That was what you right. did, though. What your friends had, like I was—I remember yeah. as a kid, like South Park, The Simpsons, those sort of shows. Like I was never allowed to watch them, but as soon as you went to a friend's, oh, you've got South Park on Simpsons. I want to watch it right now. Oh, I feel naughty. Yeah. yeah, wow, that's that's awesome. Teletubbies, oh God, didn't they? Did they bring that back? I feel, they did, I feel like they? it still goes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, God, I think they did a thing recently where, like, the baby—you know, the son—that was like the baby, yeah. like all grown up now, like to make you feel old. So, know, thank you. Yeah. Anyway, I uh, know
1: I'm old. It's okay. <laughs> hey,
0: like I, I discovered how old I was the other day when I was actually at the A League Grand Final doing some work there, and we were trying to get some clips of score predictions from fans out the front. And as we were walking outside the front, Kieran Perkins was lining up to go into the stadium and I'm working with like a 20 year old social, you know, TikTok sort of person. Like there's Kieran Perkins get, get his thought. She looks at me. Who the hell is that? And I'm like, like what? Like, and then pretty much everybody I work with, didn't know who Kieran Perkins was.
1: Everyone, you need to put them in a little education seminar. Yep, yep.
0: I'm just like, oh my god, are we are we living in a day and age where like one of the greatest Australian athletes of all time is not known anymore? But uh, yeah. Anyway, Maddie, this has been so much fun having you on the show. I'm very insightful and uh, really appreciate your, your openness and your honesty with everything you've talked about today. If people want to stay up to date with what you've got going on in the future, social media, websites, anything that people can sort of keep up to date with you? Uh,
1: yeah, my Instagram is my name, Maddie.Himbury. My Maddie.Himbry. Two it eyes, right? Yes, two eyes. So like I say, on your face, two eyes. Um <laughs> I'm found in a book, so apparently it's it. Uh, I do have a website, but nothing much pops up on there. So Instagram's where it's at. Um...
0: Beautiful keep up to date with that maddie really do appreciate your time best of luck with everything moving forward and uh good luck in the the rest of the aussie rules as well like i keep keep looking forward to seeing that i i don't doubt you You, you'll pull on a swan's jersey one day never say never come on
1: no if we can take the cup this year i'll take that for a win (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for having me on here too And a massive,
0: massive thanks to Maddie for her time. Very open and uh, honest chat there with Maddie, learning so much about all those trials and tribulations as I keep mentioning that she's gone through. And I always appreciate... Uh, an athlete on this show or a guest on this show who comes in and will say it how it is and be completely open and honest about everything. So obviously we thank Maddie for her time and for her honest and everything that she told us there. So much I learnt in that uh, chat as well, just about the sport and her career, but also the the things around Pyeongchang and kind of there not being a whole lot of uh, positivity on the ground there in Korea, which is something that often doesn't get talked about too much. So uh, that was a bit of an eye-opener. But uh, everything else that we learnt in that chat as well, uh, definitely a great chat and we very much appreciate Maddie for her time. As we said at the very beginning of that chat, of course, her and I have been having a bit of a back and forth for about a year or so now. So uh, obviously fantastic that we can chat with Maddie and learn everything that we learnt today. If you want to see the video version of of that interview, YouTube, search for Off The Podium, of course, we have got all of our past Olympic athletes on. Well, I guess when I say all of them, probably in the last year and a bit, we started doing the video ones. So unfortunately I mentioned the great Zali Steglin in there. We don't have a video interview with Zali from back in uh, 2017, I believe when we did that chat. So uh, unfortunately it doesn't quite go that far back, but the audio of that still exists if you want to listen to that. But uh, yes, video interviews available on our YouTube channel where, of course, you can subscribe just like you can do on all the good podcast platforms out there if you want to stay up to date with all of these episodes, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, you can find them all on there, and social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Get up to date with everything. Send us a message. Say hello. Let us know what you thought of this chat. Who do you want to get on the show? We'll we'll find them and we'll track them down and we'll get them on the show. So we always appreciate your support and everything that you do when it comes to getting in contact with us. Next week on the show, great guest, Alex Allred. She's an author slash bobsledder, written a fantastic book. It's called What When Women Stood. I was going to say What Women Want. I was going to say we're, we're speaking to Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt apparently next week. Uh, when Women Stood, it's a fantastic book detailing the history of women in sport and the fight for equality and recognition and going over a lot of trailblazers with women in sport, it's a fantastic insight and a real education, particularly for someone like me who was unaware of many of these athletes and all these sort of uh, issues that were covered in this book. So it's a fantastic insight and we'll talk to Alex a little bit about that. And she's also a former professional athlete, bobsledder. She was the one of the very first ever Team USA women's bobsledders in the history of the sport. Competed in bobsledding just prior to it being introduced in the Olympics in 2002. So ultimately didn't go to an Olympics, but still represented USA in women's bobsledding when the sport was still very fresh, very young, and when they only started to have a Team USA essentially in the early 90s so we'll learn a little bit from that as well from Alex on the show so get excited for that next week then following Alex we're going back to our revisiting of opening ceremonies series we're going back to Calgary 1988 Jared Colin and myself will be back to go over that reviewing it so if you want to join us in that lovely little project you can of course check out the Calgary opening ceremony on YouTube I believe the uh, Olympic channel has that one available to watch on there as well and after that, I'm still I, I've been giving away our interviews recently. But as I said last week on our alley chat, I, I like to kind of I guess tease you a little bit with this one because we've got a very big name athlete coming after after that, a an Olympian, multiple Olympics, who's now gone on to become a bit of a household name in the broadcasting world. And as I said last week, bit of a connection to one of our other shows here under our umbrella of all the different shows that we have got fingers in the pies from a Eurovision connection. So if you're a bit of a fan of Eurovision, and you know what it is, then you, you're going to like our chat in a couple of weeks' time with that guest on the show. So plenty to come to cover you out for the rest of the month. And then, of course, going through to the end of 2023, we've got our Pan Am Games coverage coming up, which I'm very, very excited for as well. And then that leads us into 2024, certain event happening in July of 2024 the paris olympics are you not excited for that and of course the youth olympics happening as well in korea as well so uh maybe some of those things we talked about on uh, this episode with the korean olympics in 2018 how's that going to affect the korean youth olympics in gangwon next year so we'll see how that plays out big thanks to maddie once again for her time on the show and to everybody listening we didn't ask her a favorite meatloaf song I'm going to say it was Bad Out of Hell. That's just always my go-to answer because it's a banger. It's a great song. Uh, as always, remember, shout-out to the Birmingham Bull, uh, to, to Jason Momoa, go left, do all those sort of things. I can't remember as I never do. I need to write these down. Maybe the next episode I'll write these down so I can actually remember what our closings are. Thanks for tuning in Off the podium. My name is Ben and we'll speak to you next time. When the stars it through, Just like some When you dance down the street With the cloud at your feet You're in love When you walk in a dream But you know you're not dreaming senor. I do see back in old Napoli that's a more?